Be wary of hating something when it is a blessing for you. Valeria Sin is a rose among thorns. Battling against the odds of a rough upbringing in Western Sydney, facing an unjust end to his tenure as a politician, and many other battles he had to face since. But today, Halal is now a pioneer in Islamic life management. We are honoured to share the intersection of faith and success. That is his story. A'uzu billahi minash shaitan rajeem. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wassalatu wassalam ala Sayyidil Mursaleen Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Bismillah. Uh, today, alhamdulillah, we are honoured. We are absolutely honoured to have an amazing brother with us today, Brother Talal Yaseen. So Brother Talal Yaseen, mashallah, um, is an accomplished brother within the community. Uh, mashallah, he is one of the first people to start uh, sort of Islamic, uh, he started the first Islamic uh, super, fund. super fund, mashallah, yes. and I think the Islamic index uh, as well. Yes. He got on board with that. Uh, mashallah, previously in so many different uh, hats, you've worked in law firms and Allahu Akbar, mashallah, Allah bless you. And we are absolutely honored to have you. Welcome to the Safi Broth Podcast. Alhamdulillah. Thank you very much. It's my privilege and honor to be here to uh, have a chat with Safi Brothers. Hello, And Alhamdulillah, talk about um, not uh, the corporate achievements uh, and enchantments and entanglements. Um, we can talk about that for hours. Inshallah. But I talk about, inshallah, life itself and how we can help each other, inshallah. Amen. I just wanted to share some, some, some brothers and sisters don't understand that some of these brothers that we don't really know personally, yeah. and we actually get the honor. <laughs> to actually meet them through the podcast. So yes, I just want to share that, inshallah, alhamdulillah. So Allah, thank you for coming thank you for coming and thank you for supporting. We're absolutely honoured to have you here and it's a pleasure to have a brother like yourself who is doing so much khair and, and mashallah alaik, you know, alhamdulillah, bro. And we want you to start sharing, inshallah, maybe start when you first came to Australia. Well, I think, um, first of all, I say to people and I said to you guys, don't let the suit fool you. <laughs> um, I consider myself... Uh, a reverse coconut. <laughs> so for those who don't get the analogy, a coconut is a you know a person who's brown on the outside and who's really white, acts really white on the inside. I'm reverse. I look very white, <laughs> but I'm very much brown. If you spend more than five minutes with me, you'll kind of work that out. I totally agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I guess uh, I'm delighted to share the story because I believe that the definition of life and success is to be in the service of others with others. And so uh, this for me is, alhamdulillah, an opportunity to do that and to be to the service of others with others. And of others, inshallah, listeners get some connectivity, something that resonates with them uh, that within the Australian Muslim community and broader that they can feel and see. And with others is the famous Safi Brothers. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. I just want to point out, mashallah, today you specifically flew from Sydney down here just for this podcast and you're flying back with your busy schedule, mashallah. So Allah be with you. My pleasure. It is my opportunity to do a little bit of good, get those hasanet that we all need. No, that's times 10, right? Compounding, inshallah. That's the real pyramid screen. That's the real pyramid screen. So let's start with, so, I mean, the... Let's not call it the Talal Yassin story um, because that's egotistical and my ego is big enough. I trip over it when I walk <laughs> out in the room. So because it's so big, I don't need an ego. Um, my point is uh, this is about sharing and I guess I want to share the story of the Yassin family. So like many, many, many others uh, that came, 
in what is now famously called the Lebanese concession. I won't bore you with the political and legal detail, but it has a big impact in Australian history, and it's still talked about today. And, I, and I'll refer back to it in a, in a while. But ever remember the Lebanese civil war started? I'm talking about the, the, the Essene family story because there'd be a lot of Muslim brothers and sisters who did not come from Lebanon. They came from Palestine, Pakistan, like the other 197 so countries. They're very diverse. But the Lebanese story itself says there's a lot of Lebanese in Melbourne and in Sydney. In fact, a significant proportion of the Muslim populations are from a Lebanese heritage. And the reason is in 1975, the Lebanese civil war commenced. And in Lebanon, it became a civil war uh, that was despicable for all involved and where people went at each other. The wealthy, the opulent Lebanese, went to their houses in New York and London and Paris. The middle class went to Brazil, California, North Africa. The peasant and working class, of which I belong to, well, they had two options. Canada, which wasn't taking anybody, and Australia. And so Australia was looking for workers, a lot of workers. And uh, they kind of ran out of people. Like now, we don't, we, everybody, everybody that employs anybody trying to find work, a huge labour shortage. I'll give you an example. The ACI factory, remember the ACI factory in Melbourne? The biggest employers, desperate for people. Wow. The Camellia uh, factory, James Hardy in Sydney, was the equivalent of the ACI factory, desperate for people. So the government of the day, it was uh, uh, Nick, uh, Gough Whitlam was the Prime Minister, yes. removed in 1974. That's right. Fraser came in in 75. By 76, there was a national crisis in Australia. We don't have enough workers. Okay? Now, people forget that. Because why are there so many Lebanese here? So what they did was the Lebanese Civil War started to be very significant in Lebanon, and then they sent emissaries. Sheikh Fahmi Allah Yerhamu. Al Hajj Mahdadi Allah Khalilaya, who in Melbourne, is still around. Mashallah. In Sydney, it's my uncle Amar Yassin and a couple of others. The government picked them up and said, Go to Cyprus. We're going to pass something called the Lebanese Concession. Because technically, we weren't, we, we're immigrants. We came as immigrants because mm. we didn't qualify as refugees. Because we weren't yeah. escaping political, because people from Troblos, North Lebanon, some South Lebanon. There was no war there. It was economic. Anyway, and so they basically let the, all the rules, lowered all the standards, and they let a couple hundred thousand Lebanese come who've never lived in cities majoritively, except the people from Tripoli, who had the most beautiful city. It was the most gorgeous city there. Not anymore. And so, in, and my parents were part of that cohort. So in nine, on the 18th of January, 1977, we arrived in Sydney. Uh, my father, my brother, uh, uh, and my my three my my three other brothers, and my sister. My my mother was pregnant with my sister as she arrived to Australia. Sure. So six in total. Uh, no, no, that's when they arrived. There's eight in total. How much are in total? We're still counting. They're still reproducing. <laughs> they got two Aussies here. Uh, three. three, 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 three. Because one was uh, yeah. actually four because my sister was born here. Oh, okay. sure. Right, because she was pregnant with her. So we arrived on the day the Granville Bridge fell. Now, in Melbourne, across Australia, actually, except in Sydney, it's not well known, but the Granville Bridge disaster um, was the biggest train disaster in Australia. Killed hundreds of people. It's where the Granville Bridge basically collapsed, collapsed yeah, on, on, a, on a train. Oh, wow. And still the, the biggest death count in, a, in that kind of fatality and biggest fatality in that kind of accident. And we remember that is very 
For us, it's because the day we came. Every year we commemorate the passing of that disaster and we have been here for one other year. So for us, that's a very... And then I went to school, Granville Bridges here, 300 metres away was my school, Granville Boys. I walked past that every day. So my life in Australia was centred around Granville. Granville, subhanAllah. And so... um, So just to put it in context, guys, that's Broadmeadows in Melbourne. Yes. So uh, I consider myself a honorary mm. Sunshine West resident, <laughs> and I'm going to use Melbourne res- references. Um, and for Adelaide, that's Port Augusta. For Brisbane, I'm not so sure. Maybe it's lo- maybe it's Logan. Maybe it's Logan. So we moved into Western Sydney um, with all my uncles. Uh, four or five uncles came. My father Ali Yassin, my mother Fatma Yassin. There's eight of us. Uh, we end up being eight eight children. Uh, I'm the eldest, Talal, then there's Bilal, and then there's Amar, and then there's my sister Raja, and then there's Akhi Hilal, who, and then Zulfiqar, and then sure. Nora, and then Walid. So that's all of them. Walid's the baby. Walid's the baby. So the difference between in age between Walid and I and my mother and I is a, is a bit funny. My mother got married at 16, had me at 17. Wow. So 17 years difference. Difference between Walid and I in age is 18 years. Oh, <laughs> wow. 18 years, yes. So I'm the oldest of eight, and alhamdulillah, um, my brothers and sisters are doing well. So you copped it hard. Absolutely. Um, that was what, part of being part of a Muslim family, is the eldest son is the oh, man. You would, second you would, leader. You, you would uh, Yes. Like, you had to keep them all straight. Okay. Actually, um, yes. I mean, in, in, a, <laughs> in, in an answer, yes. It's a bit more nuanced than that. You're talking about doctor you're seeing and professor you're seeing now, and you're talking about these very senior people, but the answer is yes. <laughs> so, um, and I'm more like, more like a fatherly figure yes. than just a brother, and I was the eldest. Like, I was the eldest by two, three years. And so, and to a large extent, we worked together, alhamdulillah. And my parents did a, without going too much into the history, we came to Sunshine West we went to Sunshine West Public School and then we graduated to Broadmeadow High. And so I went to Granville Boys High School, a school that for 50 years never failed to come in the bottom 10% of the state. Wow. Never failed. Wow. And so we called our school prison school to a large extent. because Mixed school? Uh, sorry? Mixed school? No, no. All boys. All boys. Which made it even worse. So I went to Granville South Public School and I should have went to Granville South High School, which was co-ed. Mm. And but my cousins went to Granville Boys, and Granville Boys were Alcatraz. But my mum had no idea, so she thought she was doing the right thing. We want to go see Barnett, the girls, you know, that they're <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> You got to here with your cousins. She didn't know she was sending me to one of the worst schools in the state. Wow, and um, and it was not worse only because education standards were non existent. Boys and girls, boys, uh, there was never any girls, boys there were just waiting to serve out their term. They, they didn't, weren't interested in school. In fact, 50% of the boys, I mean, I, people think I'm exaggerating or joking about it. 25 years later, so I was a school captain, when I said to my vice captain, Mehmet, Mehmet, Abi, brother in Turkish, let's get the boys together and do a 25-year anniversary. He came back, you know, once a boss, always a boss. Came back and said, uh, Abi, do you want to do a, Her Majesty's Pleasure, which is a legal reference to jail. You serve at Her Majesty's pleasure. I go, <laughs> at La Perouse, you know, Long Bay. We call it Long Bay Jail. Well. I said, I can, no way. I'm not going to do that. He goes, at least 50% of our year that I could find is either in Rookwood, which is dead, or in wow. that jail. Wow. 
Wow. And so there's a, there's a consequence. Now, and I knew some of those wow. boys very well. Wow. They wouldn't harm a fly. So there's, when we talk about, you know, Sunshine West boy, Broidy boy, there's a good example of like, I'll let Hamujan Ilhan with a Broidy boy, yes. etc. But they're the exceptions, not the rules. Yes. 100%. They are the exceptions, yes. not the rules. That's right. And yeah. so we don't want to underestimate the structural environment environment that disadvantaged us. A lot. Yes. 100%. And I want to point out to everybody, that's where I grew up. That's who I'm from. That's who I am. And I'll go back to the notion that we all come from somewhere and that somewhere is really important to actually understand. And if anything, I want people to understand is that Everybody's got a story and it's not all fair, far-fetched and fanciful and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So my school was the Granville Boys. I went to Granville South Public School, Granville Boys, went with my brothers and sisters. Um, what, what, what was mum and dad doing then? What so my mum, and- my dad worked for that factory that I mentioned, the ACI factory equivalent called James Hardy. That's the one that had the asbestosis that closed down. Oh, wow. Man, that, that, yeah. that, they had a whole... Asbestos. Uh, asbestos. Like they were sued, they were shut yeah, down by the government. Down, yeah. They had a whole suburb called Camellia, which is the next suburb to, like, think Broadmeadow, Sunshine West. Yep, yep. The whole, they had a train station for the factory. Hello. It was an empire. Think of Holden, Ford down yeah. here. Like, wow. they were empire, right? Yeah. They were an empire up there. So my dad worked for them. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. My dad obviously is still around. He turns 80 in April. Okay. Thank you. And, and he didn't get asbestos. Alhamdulillah. He's a lucky man. But so so he, he came, obviously, straight into the work? One week in. That they need to work. Very similar to that. One yeah. week in, and the, the experience of many, one week in, they started working. Inshallah. Immediately. Alhamdulillah. All living together in one house at the time About of the About five uncles? families. In one house. One house. Then we started to move Obviously, out. Yes, one yes. went to Preston, you know, yeah, one went to yeah, Altona, yeah. you know, the same. How, how, how many families did that with, with uh, wanting a better life? Like, you know, a lot of families lived together for a year to save yeah. up for that deposit or whatever it may be. Hello, people don't understand how much well, hard, hard, hard yards that they, they did. Well, well. It's, it, absolutely. And, you know, we've got to remember that because it's what, what your parents and my parents sacrificed. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, I was on an Uber on the way from the airport and there was about a 24-year-old kid, not kid, man. And he said, I hope you don't mind, sir. I need to go on the phone. I said, of course. Anyway, he was doing an interview for a job as he was driving the Uber. Allah. Give me, your, give me your experience. Can you answer the phone? What level? The guy had an IT and a master's degree. In, and and, that, remind, and that reminded me of what it is to struggle in that way. We didn't believe in holidays. My parents never believed in holidays. <laughs> holidays? <laughs> what are you doing? Well, holiday? Your holidays, stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so my dad worked in James Hardy. My mother looked after the home. My dad hurt his back as you all do, of course. And then, uh, then basically he was our taxi driver and our mentor for 20 years because each of my brothers and sisters, each of them has a degree. Each of them was never known to the police except as their advisors. And so we never got in trouble. Alhamdulillah. Um, and we didn't get into trouble in the middle of that Malou. Why do you think that was? One reason that I can find, only one reason. We were more scared of my mother than the police. Wow. <laughs> That's the bottom line. So mum really pushed education. Mum really we were terrified. Well, both pushed education, but we were terrified of mum. They are like, the train came out 3.02. It's a seven and a half minute walk from Harris Park Station to our place. What, what, You're one what, minute late. What was it? What was it that 
It, my, so, so speaking to the mothers out there so we can make sure because I, I hear we, we get messages all the yeah, time yeah. how can I you know connect with my kid how can I support my kid I, I don't think it was a, for, for my mum and dad it wasn't the connection with the kid and I think that's the wrong way to think about it if my story my family story so my dad was a retired general he was born retired <laughs> have a cup of coffee happy <laughs> my mother was the opposite she was up at five military discipline, and she was committed to building a family and committed to build, making something out of us in Australia. And don't you dare go the wrong way. Wow. Don't you dare go the wrong And as my cousins and others went the wrong way, she was determined. So we lived in Guildford. Love. One day I come home with my cousins with a bike, a BMX. Beautiful BMX. Remember the BMXs? The mongoose. Yeah, the mongoose BMX. <laughs> triple star. Oh, Did it have the tufts on it? No tufts. Oh. My cousin got the tufts. <laughs> and I rode it along. And, you know, kids in those days, we, we were allowed out to do our own thing. Came back with the bike. Now, I had gone to my cousin's house and watched evidence. And my cousin went in with his bike because uh, the bikes just appeared. <laughs> we just literally went to the front of the bike shop. My cousins rode them off and I rode the other one. We stole them. Oh, wow. So I went to my cousin's house and then my cousin, so I was watching. So there in the next street, I was watching. He went in and he was like, hello, happy biggie, fuck, blah, 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 blah. He parked his bike, walked in, mother didn't say anything. I go, yeah, because I was terrified. I was like probably 10 or 11. I then took the bike home, parked it on the side, went in. Hi, mum, how are you going? You know, but then she comes about half an hour later and says, who's this bike for here? Where'd you get this bike from? Wow. She had no idea. Anyway. And I said, oh, we and my cousins went down. No, made up some story. Anyway, um, Talal was, Talal, I got smacked. <laughs> it was like, this bike does not belong to you. So then she made me, we walked a kilometre and a half back to Guildford Road, wow. right? And every, she was so angry. Every 20 metres she walked behind me yelling at me. She would come and give me a kick. And I was, oh. wow. So we took the bike back. And she knocked on the, the guy's door and said, is this your bike? He looked, looked, looked over his glasses. Yes, it is. Anyway, and he said, well, my son took your bike and he has something to say. And he said, you apologise to him. And then she started smacking me in front of him. He goes, no, no, it's okay. You can take the bike. <laughs> <laughs> he felt sorry for me. <laughs> they, my, mm. my, my parents are not educated, didn't go to school a day in their life. Neither can read or write. Neither. Oh, law. Neither. My mum can't read or write till today. So when Talal's report or come home, she'll show it to Bilal, read it to me. Okay, Bilal, double check, validate. Omar, read it to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And, and, and you know, oh, wow. so, and nor, nor did But she knew she wanted something better. She wanted to create. So she set a high standard. That's the very right. high standard. And I think amazing. That, that, that was, and then she executed against it. <clears throat> yeah. You can tell because obviously they're telling us the story about the bike. She always followed through. She mm. just didn't let it go. She had the and energy. a lot of families today, we've realised, no follow through whatsoever. Exactly. Well, you know, you can have all the motivation ideas you want in the world. You don't execute. It, it, it's like you never had it. Right? Exactly. And she still does. And she had enormous energy. Allah khalilak, yeah. Enormous energy till this day. I, I sort of worked out early on that I can persuade people of things and the power of a story and a narrative. And I also decided I wanted to serve my community. I wanted to be involved and engaged because that gave me, you know, I never, I didn't never want to be an athlete. I didn't want to be rich. I didn't want to be, um, you know, a particular thing. I wanted to serve because 
the community because people help my mother so often, right? Because my mother was, my dad was a retired general and, and really important to keep us balanced, right? Kind of one extreme and not the other. So they, they, they balanced each other out. Mm. But you still had eight kids in a foreign country without any education and you wanted to rise. And they, so they gave us unconditional love and absolute presence and expectation. But the expectation was you do your best. So to a large degree, I was, they didn't know what I was doing half mm. the time. They didn't know what I was doing, economics. They didn't know what result I got. It was whether I was happy or not. If I think very clearly about what motivated and drove me, it was one, to honour my parents, and two, to look after my family. Mm. And that meant service. Yeah. That's what I mean, service of others. We've, we've, we've with lost others. that as, as, yeah. as a community and as time goes on, I've realized, like you said, mm. to honor that surname, to honor that family name yeah. is really now become non-existence, really. really exactly. It's, well, it's kind of the opposite. If you go to yeah, jail yeah. and then be a scene, it's a pleasure, right? <laughs> so that, that's part of the yeah, distortion. But my parents really wanted us to make something of ourselves in Australia. They didn't know what. And so... And I'll tell a story about the Order of Australia, which will, I think you'll find a bit funny. But we, w- there was a chip on my shoulder and our shoulder. We wanted, we got a lot more degrees than we needed. We just, but everything else we had to work doubly as hard for. And so I decided somehow in Guildford, which was a Sunshine Western 1980s, which is a village basically, somehow I decided I want to be a lawyer. So the, so my brothers and sisters, are, I mean, there's Dr. Yassine who's got a, went to Harvard and every one of my brothers, Pretty much, I think, except one got a much higher mark than I did. Oh wow! Right, like much higher, like ninety nine and ninety eight, yeah. and and all. And our children now are getting ninety eights and ninety nines. Right, sure. that's like book study. Yeah. So I had this great dream of being a lawyer. So in those days, not like now, you get an SMS and you go on to log in. <laughs> you went to the post office at six a.m. and I had a PO box because I never let mail go home because my mother would open it. <laughs> Wow, wow. You, you, it disappeared. You were a clever entrepreneur. Oh, nothing clever about it. Like, I never got mail. <laughs> she had already shouted Bilal and Amar and Hilal and double checked, you know, with an interrogation. It was not a letter opening event. Anyway, and then, so, because I'd lose mail. So I was there. I, I went and, and it was before they distributed it. I knocked on the door because it was HSC and I said, Can I have my, my mark? I never forget sitting in that car. My hopes, my dreams were smashed. So I need like you know, 420, 440. And I wasn't ducked by year 11, 12. I slipped back because of all the, but there was something called scaling. Remember scaling? Yes. Went to the worst school in the state. One of the worst schools in the state. And it like went down like three. It scaled me down to 360, 350. I don't remember the actual mark. Wow. But I was like, so it just, it just blew me away. Because everybody was waiting on that mark. Yeah. I was the eldest and it blew me away. And I'm like, what do I do? I remember seeing that 6 a.m. sobbing myself wow. to myself. Um, in that car park, it was amazing. And <laughs> I still get emotional about it. And then I thought, okay, so what do I do here? How do you be a stoic? How do you recover? Wow. It took me maybe two, three weeks. Wow. Before I recovered, like, I was going to be a lawyer. I was there. I worked day and night. Six boys stayed wow. in one room. Wow. We slept. There's, there's eight of us, right? By the time there was eight of us because wow. Wally was a baby. 
born at 18. Yeah. There was five boys in one bedroom, my parents and the two girls. Wow. So I studied between the double bunks. And I pushed really, really hard. And I had excellent teachers. I remember, and I will mention them because I mentioned them at the last Academy Awards. Miss Pinson helped me amazingly for English. Miss Patton, amazingly wow. for math. You remember these Ms. teachers? Miss Doyle for history and debating. These people invested in me. Hours and hours and hours to get to, because I did get four, 20, 440. So remember, I had no support. Nobody who's ever been to university in my family. Wow. And, and I remember them till this day. SubhanAllah. And I call them out and I mention them by name, right? By name. Have you spoken to any of them? Of course. Oh, so one has passed away, but the other two, they're in nursing homes. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Because if you. If they were you, your mentors, pretty much. Absolutely. But then more than that, Miss Patton, for example, had white hair then. She was like 60. Wow. And she was this stern math teacher. And I hated math. Hated math. I love history. I love talking. I love debating, as you can see. <laughs> I love stories. I hated math. So 50% of my time was spent in math and other 50 on every other subject. Wow. But it all came to naught. And I had to recover. It was like. So that was like that point. At that point, you felt an absolute failure. Only. Absolutely. Not only a failure, your hopes, your dreams, your, your, your road. Because because all remember, the hard work put in. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell this to everybody who's doing their exams, whether it's, uh, what do they call in Victoria again? VCE. VCE yeah. or the HSC, HSC or the ATAR. People had you believing that that was the only road. And if you failed that road, you are gone. Yes. And that was, that's so not true. Yes. Your mark is really important for that year. Yes. But like a camera, you get to take a shot the next day Amy. and the next month. And nobody told me that. And I'm trying to socially climb out of my economic environment. Mm. By then I was, I'd worked for nine years straight. Mm. I knew a little bit about the world. I knew how structurally disadvantaged I was. I knew my ticket was to go to university wow. and get an education. And I was lost badly. And so I recovered after three weeks. I went and did an arts, decided to go do an arts How, how were your parents' re uh, reaction to the score and... My parents... Um, was, that, was that the hardest thing to do, is to, it, to, to it, really let them well, know that we let was. them down in their eyes? Well, yes and no. Like, so because they had unconditional love, my dad was like, Allah bistur, alhamdulillah. You know, like my dad was, and my mom was like, you'll do it, you'll do it again. But were they disappointed? Absolutely. They were, they were unbelievably disappointed. And it wasn't about the marks and the results and the social expectations because I wanted it. Because remember, yes. they were complete, had no idea what I was going to yeah. do. But the good Muhammad, he was this lawyer. But if I did a real estate agent and came home in a suit, it's the same to them. Yeah, yes, yes. Like it was the same to them. Yeah. As long as they the, see this. Yeah. The, the question I ask is that, do you think then you tried your best? I absolutely tried my best and failed miserably. And that's a lesson, I guess, I learned. Your best sometimes is not good enough. Mm. You got to accept it and move on. And the, the things I didn't have, and alhamdulillah, <clears throat> There's guys like you and others around. Had nobody tell me what to do. Mm. Nobody to say, you know what? You'll be right, son. Nobody. And I was still working. And, um, and, but then I, I decided to enroll. I want to do arts law at Sydney Uni. Like Melbourne. Melbourne Uni. Yeah. But and I, I went to arts law in every university and got into zero. Not one, obviously. I, I just crashed by 20, 20%. Wow. What you needed, right? They all rejected you. 
I didn't get the mark to apply. Okay, so I didn't bother. Yeah, I didn't bother. Like, why would you apply? You, yeah, they, they, the they, mark was 420. I got below 400. Everybody was above 400. Hmm. Like, so Sydney University was like 440, right? So that's a top tier. That's like that's Melbourne, Melbourne University. Yeah. But I would have gone. I would have went to Deakin. Yeah, yeah. Ended up going to Deakin, by the way. I got an MBA from Deakin, Melbourne. Oh wow! Right. I would have went to Latrobe. I went to Victoria. I would have went anywhere in, in the Sydney equivalents. Yeah. But I wanted to go, but I didn't get into law anywhere. Law is high everywhere. Yeah. Wow. And medicine is high everywhere. That's right. <clears throat> so um, I then did arts at Sydney, and then transferred to Macquarie University, Bachelor of Arts. Bachelor of Laws two years later. Wow. There was another way to do it. So that's your pathway. Pathway, yeah. Pathway. If you're committed to it, you can. But I had nobody to tell me HSC is not the be all and end all. Yeah. There are other routes. Yeah. And, and there I always think, were. And, and that's your reconciliation, really, when you found a new pathway. It's like we all focus on this like laser focus point that we're going to mm-hmm. get to there. Yes. And sometimes we can wiggle our way through it that we. And I think a lot of our youngsters today mm. hit the brick wall thinking there's, there's no way around this. Correct. And it's like a. Like a boxing match, you've got to take a few hits to win. Mm. Got to go a few rounds. Yeah. You know, you think you're going to have this strategy? Well, as Mike Tyson said, the best strategy falls apart once you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> right? Or version thereof. Remember that? Yes. First time you get punched in the mouth, your strategy goes out the window. <laughs> Duck and weave. And, and it's all about heart and what, authenticity about what you want to yeah. do. So I then went to uni. And Can I, I just touch before yeah, you go please. to uni? Where does the faith? apply here now? I just want to know from your, from your parents, were they practicing or were they culturally sensitive? Where does faith play, yeah. play a part well, in, in, your, in, that, in that journey? Well, that's a beautiful question you ask because, you see, most of the Lebanese that came, especially from the villages, including my parents, are culturally religious. Yes. yes. They actually don't understand their own religion. Yeah. And it's not like Prislam, prison Islam, <laughs> that we have in Australia. Mm. I, I'm, I differentiate that. It's cultural religion. Mm. It's their religion and their culture and their faith and their family are all one. They weaved into one. They yes. weaved. They, they, they don't understand the difference yeah. where their culture ends, where their Lebanese culture ends, and where the Islamic religion starts. Yes, yes. And so my parents were very religious, very cultural, very much like the Melbourne and other experience. Yes. Yeah. But then there was a guy called Sheikh Tajdin al-Hilali, which is the actual equivalent to Sheikh Fahmi, who was Mufti for 30 years, and Allah al-Hamu, he just passed away. And he's Egyptian background, not Lebanese. And he was was an amazing man because he wasn't just, it was this old guy, he was 45, 50 when he came, more like 40s, and he served for 30 years as Mufti, self-appointed, of course. And, but he loved the ummah and the community. He taught me how to pray. He played soccer with me in mm. the park at Parry Park. Oh, wow. wow. He, he, he spent nights and nights and nights. You know, when he get, went and slept in the mosque, he was there himself. Of the people. Of the people, for the people. And I, I loved, and he would always support me. He always found, and he gave me my faith, actual faith. Wow. wow. When he sheikh, when the sheikh reads, you know, the Egyptians and have that beautiful um Al Azhar, yeah. uh, 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 reading of the Quran. Yes. Uh, he he was amazing, and he's a he's a uh, a Quranic scholar of significant proportion. Sure. So Sheikh Fami was a people's man and a wise leader, but academically he wasn't the academic. Yes, no, yes. He right? right. He was a Sheikh Tej was an academic and a wise leader, but he didn't have 
the the touch of Sheikh Fahmi, yeah, the people, yes, the yes, presence. Yes, yeah, he yeah. has much more. It was much more the of a charisma, cult. The charisma. Yeah, Sheikh Fahmi had Lebanese charisma, which yes, I love. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was person, yes. soft and gentle. Yes, Sheikh yes. Taj had the soft and gentle, but was more academic about yeah. it, right? So that's that's. So the reality is because you're mashallah, you you got the academic mind, you mm. were relatable to him. He mm. appealed to me, and the thing is. He believed in you, yes. so it helped you believe in yourself. Indeed. That, 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 Absolutely. That For a 10-year-old who of eight kids who slept at the mosque, the mufti, the guy who reads out the front, every Friday we went to prayer when there was holidays, the guy who led our community would say, Salamu alaikum abni. Zayak, kaifak al-yom? Ta'ala huna. Read al-qari'ah. Hala, dami. And he wasn't like belting you. He was making fun of you. He was engaging you, yeah. and I learned that from him because now when I go to a family function, to my brothers, I go talk to their kids. It's wow. 10, 8, 9. Yeah. Like, because that is what gave me, you know, the, my, drive. the, dro- the Islamic uh, flavor. Yeah. And a Lebanese tradition is, you know, kids shall be seen and not heard. <laughs> yeah. That's a Lebanese version you know, of, we all know that. Uh, Scott, Scott. You know? <laughs> Inshallah. Inshallah yeah. He was the opposite to that. Wow. Right? And even though my dad was not like that, the community was like that. Yeah. My dad took us everywhere. And so the faith part, and I went to Granville Boys, a lot of Muslims. But they were all cultural Muslims that got into crime. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. it sort of confused yeah. me. Yeah. And that's why we end up with Prisla. Because <laughs> <laughs> these boys went to jail, came out, some of them made it, some of them did it, and then they became Muslim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They had a beard <laughs> and a agal and tats down here. <laughs> and like, it confused the hell out of me, right? <sighs> so um, he was the person who, and, and many years later, and I'll move on to joining university, Sheikh Taj will come back to show you how much. Islamic impact he had on my mind and why underwrote my community of service, service for others with the service of others. We, we, we say the same thing because yeah, that's the same thing. Sheikh Fahim believed in me. He's the one who pulled me into his committees. He's the one who, like, you know, like us, like, keep me out. I don't want to be part of this, you know. Because, you know, I think we have, we, I think all of us have been burnt. We've got that burnt mentality within yeah. the Muslim community. We're burnt yeah. by Muslims who don't want to deal with us, yeah. like, keep me out. SubhanAllah, it took a human being to believe in me to say, you know what, yeah. Ahmed, hey, you can do this. You can mm. be part of this. We can do khair. Yeah. And you're right. It's that giving back. Yeah. Without you giving back, you yes. never feel alive, do you? Exactly. Well, and he's a sheikh. And he's a sheikh, of course. Yeah. And so you equate that with Islamic goodness. Yeah. Think of the if it was a reverse. Mm. Think of the, all the messages we're getting. Everything good, nothing happened with the Muslim community. Yeah. You just go pray with them. Mm. You know, like think of that so Muslim a deficit of trust that exists across the country. And so to overwhelm that, you need someone really powerful over a long period of time to change your narrative, to change the scale. So first day of university, went to Sydney University, I discovered a new love. Um, What was her name? Uh, yes, I discovered female. <laughs> yes. He got you. I said it's a Muslim podcast. We thought we were going to keep it clean. What well, is that? You went to a boys' school. I don't know now you found <laughs> So the new love was, uh, apart from discovering there was another species out there, um, I joined the ALP, Australian Labour Party. Uh, okay. Oh, wow. And I decided that. At uni? First day, orientation day, I had a mission. What was that mission? I wanted to become a lawyer. I wanted to involve, right? And that is, I had just failed miserably my exam. And I came from Granville Boys High School. In our school system, we got the GBS, Greater 
greater public schools, which are like the like the private schools. Yeah. Mm. And so when they used to ask me where you're from, I say GBHS. And they didn't realize it was Granville Boys High School. <laughs> <laughs> and in GPS. Yeah, I, like that, I, like that. I like that. Marketing, marketing. Yeah, right? man, man. You and were marketing. Then, you go. Icing on the cake. Yeah, <laughs> and then I got involved in student politics, ALP, and I got involved with the ALP because, well, they pursued me basically as an 18, 19 year old. You got access to the state premier, to the ministers. I wouldn't say I wasn't beguiled by it. Absolutely. And all of a sudden I became. Student president, I joined the Muslim Student Association, got to learn a bit more about my own people because all the Muslims, it's different Muslims were at university, yeah. not the ones I was with. Yeah, it's so important. I, I play on that. That's so important to join MSAs. Like MS, the being, especially if you're at the uni level, like we talk, I talk to a lot of kids and I say, oh, so do you know about your MSA? What's, yeah. what's an MSA? We hear that a lot from our yeah. Muslim yeah, yeah. kids. That, like, what's an MSA? It's like, yeah, yeah. Muslim Student Association. Well, Get involved. I was, I was part involved from day one. Um, um, and still am involved. Like I talk to them now and again. Sure Very that. critical. And I realized that leadership is what I wanted to do. And leadership means talking to people and persuading them. So management for me is about uh, asking people to do things they uh, otherwise would not do. Yeah. Leadership is about persuading people to do things they never imagined. Mm. Let's take over the student union. Yeah. Let's build this, like, you know. And subhanAllah, um, from that day, ALP then started training me. So I became an SAS commando in the ALP movement. For those not, not familiar with military analogies, you became part of the group that was trained for leadership. Wow. And they trained me for 10 years. 10 years? 10 years. So what does that mean? I'd go to branch meetings. I'd be the president of this club. They'd fly me around the place. They would, I would represent ministers. At 19 now? 19, between, between 19 and 29. Ten, ten years. Ten years. I was trained, uh, got involved, uh, like literally, I was a lawyer, li- really, as a secondary. So I became mm. a lawyer, finished university, etc. But I was trained and the amazing training that you got, the leadership training that you got, the marketing and politics that we were talking about just before. Yes. That didn't happen by itself. Yes. Someone needs oh. to train you. The way you think about power and leadership, the way you think about people, the way you analyze a situation. Right, that was le- so. I had legal and political training, and uh, my plan was: look, it changed. I didn't want to be a lawyer in the family court, the criminal court, etc. I wanted to serve the Muslim community. So at twenty nine, they found a seat for me. It was a state seat of Auburn. I became student leader at Macquarie University. I was elected student leader at Macquarie University. I took it over from the trots, the trots go, the leftists, and I took it back for Labor. And who helped me? That's where I earned my stripes. That's where I ran one of the branches and made a huge profit, right? Wow. That's the equivalent. Oh, they were wow. like, the guy we're training. And, he's, got, and he's got ability capacity. He exactly. some goals, mate. He kicked some kick goals. Some, big goal. He's a Malcolm X. I took it back. <laughs> I don't know about Malcolm X. That's a bit high. I said my ego is big. It's not that big. So when I went to Macquarie Uni, Labor right held parliament, like effectively students. There's 35,000 students. And so then I joined the MSA the Macquarie University MSA. And I became student president of the MSA. And you know who was my core group? You know who, who, this will be a twist, a Melbourne twist for you. You know who helped me win 12 of the 21 spots to take leadership? Muslim community leadership at Macquarie University. Wow. And more, more particularly, 
the female Females, the women. That's right. Active, there were women there. They're the active ones. And the one of the women happens to be called Muna. She's Adil Salman's wife. Oh, wow. She was at Macquarie University. Wow. So Adil Salman, the leader of ICV. Yes. That's his wife, Muna, who now lives in Allah Allah Akbar. Akbar. That's the connection with Adil. And I know Adil from then. SubhanAllah. And we took over Macquarie University. Then there was no mosque. We found a mosque. We, we, there's, there's the university said, I became student leader. First thing I said, there's no mosque on this campus. You know how many Muslims there are? I'm sorry, we don't have any room. So we went with the males and the females. We walked around the campus, said there's a storeroom there. We want that bit. And then like, they said, well, well we can't move stuff. We'll find somewhere else for you to put that stuff. That's the way we got our first mosque. Subhanallah. That's the way we got our first mosque. Then we got them to build a mosque for us at Macquarie when they were expanding. And the vice chancellor was Professor Diurbi at that time. She is now the chair of Crescent Wealth, the Islamic Superfund. Oh, wow. That's how we built that relationship. So to interweave the Islamic identity, because he asked about Islamic identity. Fast forward, I then finished at Macquarie University. Can I ask you, so just yes, sure. in that journey, because a lot of youth that I speak to wanting to get into politics and not get into politics, they believe there's, there's going to be some comp- compromise especially with our faith. Yes. Uh, that 10-year journey, did you feel targeted? Did you feel not welcome being a Muslim person of faith? That journey, did, w- w- was it that, that reluctancy to, to actually educate you or to empower you? Absolutely not. It was quite the opposite. It was quite the opposite. But there was a particular view of the world. So if you want to be a person who pretends they live in Saudi Arabia, of course there would be. I'm sorry, I don't speak to women. I'm sorry, there's alcohol served in the restaurant you're meeting. I can't go there. Pretend you live in Saudi Arabia, right? In fact, they now serve alcohol in Saudi Arabia, by the way, <laughs> and there's women everywhere. But that's beside the point. Then, of course, you were never going to engage. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean you compromise your principles. That doesn't mean you do the wrong thing. That doesn't mean you are not engaged with your own Muslim community. Everybody knew my name is Talal Yassin. You can't mistake who I am. You can't mistake when you see my mother with a scarf on and my wife with a scarf. You can't mistake that. And I always felt proud of that and continue to be proud of it. And yes, they did try and say, oh, maybe your name, you can't get elected and you'll see the story about politics in a second. Maybe. But, you know, there's a couple of versions of that. Some people say it's haram to be involved in politics. I reject that outright. We live in Australia. We have to be involved in the system. We have to be live and let live. Yes. I'm also opposed to people who are sellouts. And there's people who are like, I'm not a Muslim. My name is Omar, but I'm, right? But there's a big, big, big continent between those. Yeah. Yeah. We can actively engage and involve. And what's happening in Gaza and Palestine and other places around the world, even to our Muslim brothers and sisters right now, sitting in November 2023, um, it can be helped if we had positions of power and people. And so it is to engage in the social fabric of Australia, which I strongly believe. And on Australia, I'm a nationalist. I am very, very patriotic. Um, I don't believe that we're the other. The other are people who don't live in Australia. We're all one. And I refuse, and you'll see when I talk to this, I do not have conditional citizenship of this country. I'm Australian as anybody else. And anybody who tries to challenge my citizenship will get the wrath of someone who's a patriot. So is being involved in politics haram? No. 
is being doing the wrong thing, the haram thing. Haram, yes, it is. But everybody knows right and wrong. When they decided to pick a spot for me, and that was Auburn. Auburn had 35% Muslims, like Sunshine West. Yeah. All turn. But yeah. in Sydney, we're much more concentrated. Yes, you are. In Melbourne, you're less concentrated. Yes. There are some, yeah. but you're like a quarter of concentration that's of us. That's right, that's right. Right? But in Sydney, we're very concentrated. And so I went to the most Muslim seat you can imagine, and the guy was retiring. You and I was- Labor seat. Labor seat. 35%, some, ridic- some ridiculous number ahead of the Liberal Party. It was a working class seat. Anyway, and it was my turn to enter the state seat of Auburn and there was, uh, the guy resigned and there was a pre-selection. So that means when they pick, yeah. um, who is going to be the Labour candidate? When you, in a safe seat, a seat that Labour always has, whoever the, the party picks will become the member. Yeah, You can, remember the drover's dog, uh, like you can put a dog there and they're going to elect them yeah. because <laughs> that's the drover's dog analogy. I didn't yeah. make that up. That's Australian lingo, right? <laughs> For political lingo. Yeah. A drover's dog could have been elected there. Subhanallah. So then at the time, Bob Carr was the Premier of New South Wales, kind of like Dan Andrews. Yes. Been there for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, who's, side story, he's now the chairman of the Crescent Foundation. Wow. Yeah, he's now the chairman of the Crescent Foundation. Anyway, to continue the story, and then and the Labour Party was putting me up, not the Muslim community. We had no idea. So then they said, you need to get the numbers out there. So I went and built my support in the branches, basically recruiting people. We'd go to a branch every night. And I was working overnight to make sure I had the, the shares in that branch, if you want to use that, yeah, the yeah. numbers, we call numbers, them, yeah. to get the support. And I got that support. I had the numbers in the branches, which is like a mission within itself. Yeah. And um, they then, the party decided, okay, the by-election. And it was the pre-selection happened. And dates are important here. I'll tell you three dates. The 16th of August, 2001. The 9th of September, 2001. The 10th of September, 2001. And the 11th of September, 2001. Wow. Three dates. Four dates I've told you. Yes. The August was the pre-selection. Just before the pre-selection, this was promised to me. I was the guy who'd been trained for 10 years, ready to take that branch manager spot ready to serve the Australian Muslim community. And everybody was waiting, including Sheikh Dej, my uncles, my family, because I'd become well-known by then yeah. in the Muslim oh, community. Wow. Because you're going to be a wazir, a wazir you're going to be yeah. an MP. <laughs> it was, and I still didn't understand it in the same level, but that was there in, in, in other countries. This MP is, you serve him, he's not a servant of the community. Yeah. But for me, I was serving. Anyway. And then um, I got a call from head office and said, look, we've done a, in simple terms, we've done a focus test. And uh, there was a SCAF rapes, Bilal SCAF. Yes, yes. And others who, who do, people got 55 years jail. Wow. Those yeah. people. Yes, 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 yes. And one was called Bilal and I want to do this lib style to you. And it was horrendous. It was barbaric American. what they did. Yes. Uh, in any yes. language. And I said, listen, they said, I'm sorry, we can't put a talal in. Wow. It's a wrong, I said, it's a 35% seat. They go, you might lose a couple of points. We're not prepared to take that risk. You're still young. I said, but listen, but, but, but don't you want to prove these Bilal types wrong? You put a Talal in that is not that. It would be really good and all the rest of it. And anyway, push came to shove and they said, you're not getting it. We're going to wow. just give it to a woman. And they took it away. They took it away. And after all that training, because what happens is most people want to go into politics, they lose a couple of spots. Yeah. They lose a couple of times. 
They don't get in straight away. Yeah. Mm. And it's a fighting game. It's a fighting game. You you got to lose a couple of times, right? They look. This is the first time, like you know, take it easy. You didn't get this spot. I said, which spot? <laughs> I was like active. I was like working on it all the time. And this is going through uni, going to your law degree. This all the same 18 time. Eighteen hours a day. I did married. Wow. I was married in 1999. Hello. Right? I just want to put context. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. 1999. kids need to understand that this is all happening because I got kids. I'm not going to get married till I get, finish uni and I don't do I this. I got married in 1999 and I had my first child in January 2002. Wow, and this is all going on. It's all going on. But let me tell you a story. This is where it all comes together and then we'll go back. Sorry, I just want to. No, no, it's all right, it's all right. So August. Robin Wainwright, the Sydney Morning Herald journalist, first Muslim MP, about to enter parliament. There was no MP then. But I got shafted. And that wasn't done. They put another woman in. And I was, again, devastated. But this time, not only was I devastated, the community was devastated. Sheikh Tajdin Hilali then came out and ran a major campaign. Think about us now in November where we're... Who's defending us? Who's supporting us? Everybody ducked. Sheikh put his head up. Sheikh put his head up and got slammed for it. The Muslim community. This was our Muslim son. He was the guy. He was the guy who who, who you put up the AOP and you struck him down and like well, I had no support, nobody to call wow. and say, um, you, Ibs, you, I'm backing him. You do something like this, you remove his political career for no for we're gonna do something, there'll be consequence there's no consequences. Yeah. Sheikh Dajinilali ran a campaign for three months. Daily oh. Telegraph stories, just a rage, Muslim community is not supporting Labour, the whole bit kit and caboodle. Wow. Whilst other Muslims were saying, Don't worry about Ibs, come to say Talal, I'll fix you up. Yeah, I'll take the photo in front of the mosque with you. Right? Now remember I was the creation of the ALP from the inside. The Muslim community backed me in. So this is what I mean about the faith of a Muslim leader, like what a Sheikh Fahmi really does to you. And I'm carrying on that work because when it comes down to it, a kid that cut, cut down at 28. However, I don't know how to say it in Arabic, but don't hate something that, he, that you think is good for you from maybe bad. Yeah. So let me tell you the reason. Yes. But I want to say in English. So I think yeah. in English. <laughs> Islamic saying says, and I'll repeat it, don't hate something that you think is good for you, that you want it, because it may be bad for you. So let's go through the dates. Pre-selection, when they, the Labour Party picked someone, I got knocked out. In fact, I didn't go. I voted for the other lady. I said, okay, I'm done. And then... So you showed her your support? Uh, yeah, I gave her my support. The party said, no, we don't want you. All right, we don't want you. Well, as yeah. devastated as I was, I was a party person. I was disciplined. I was a professional boxer, right? When the ding ding goes, you get out. <laughs> Khalas. Yeah. When the umpire says something, you got to play by the rules. So I was an MMA fighter. I was a professional boxer. Ten years. I was nearing thirty. The 9th of September, the by election, the actual election happened where people go and vote. Barbara Perry got elected on the 10th of September. It was Saturday, the 9th of September. The 10th of September, it's very important, that's my birthday. That's the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> the 11th of September, what happened? 2001. Wow. So had I got my wish to be a member of parliament, I would have been elected on the 9th of September in the by-election. The result would have been declared that night because wow. I didn't have much to count. Labor was going to get in. Yeah. On the 10th of September, would have had front page 
Age, Sydney Morning Herald, advertiser, first Muslim MP enters parliament on the 11th of September. September 11 happened that oh, Monday. Yes. They would have said, Talal, are you, are you Australian first or are you Muslim? Yes. Are you with us or are you against us? <laughs> yeah. Do you support Osama bin Laden or don't support? Who in the hell is Osama bin Laden? All right. And remember how violent it was. Remember wow. how crazy it was. We're remembering now. Yes. It was like that. And it was Islam and Muslims. Someone called Talal. And so it wouldn't be too high to put it. Maybe not my physical life would be in danger, but nobody, the Premier of the state, the Prime Minister of the country, couldn't have withstood that. And so I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for allowing me to dodge that. Who knew September 11 was coming? And nobody, and and, and, and from that day on, I decided that I wasn't going to go into politics ever again. Why? That was it. Why? Because I saw the cost. The cost is amazing. When you're between 18, 19, and 29, got all the time, all any in the world. I was married. I was a lawyer by then. And practicing? Uh, practicing lawyer. I worked uh, from 1997 onwards. I was a practicing lawyer at a firm called Dunhill Madam Butler, which became PricewaterhouseCoopers Lawyers. Yes. Mm. Had a global platform, one of the best law firms in the world. So Allah, I, I was so grateful. Alhamdulillah. But also I was married and my wife, my first daughter was born in January 2002. Oh, wow. So three months after all this happened. Wow. And I decided that... The world changes when that happens. I decided I was never... I I decided before that, but that reinforced it. And I guess that brings the story back to service. The question is like, so that shift, so that was a huge shift, like we say, so 10 years of support of the Labour Party, suddenly you said, no, this is not for me. I'm shifting completely. That's a huge shift, man. It is. It's huge. Absolutely. How did that feel? Like, 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 I can only imagine, like, you, you would have felt almost naked. Absolutely. Well, and they did for many reasons. The first one was I so badly wanted to serve the community and I had so much support from members of the community. I could do things. I'll give you an example. Auburn Mosque is a Turkish mosque. It's called Gallipoli Mosque. Of the kind of things you could do for our community being an MP. And so there was a, the mosque was expanding. And it wasn't my community. I'm Lebanese. They're Turkish, right? They, they don't actually operate together all the time. Yes. But as an MP, you can help everybody. Yeah, yeah. So I would go and say, the Minister of Roads was a friend of mine. And, and they said, Abe, brother, there's, you know that here, we, we need to build more parking or do something. With, I don't remember the full, like, exactly. Anyway, long story short, six months later, the government near Gallipoli Mosque in Auburn, which is my area, donated to Gallipoli Mosque like 3,000 square metres. Wow. The oh. Department of Roads didn't need that spot. Right now, we've got Gallipoli um, aged care facility built there. SubhanAllah. This was 25 years ago. This was before I was an MP. This was, I was 25, 26. I had never become an MP. Yeah. But because I was being trained, had access to that. Oh, wow. It, it was, uh, her name, Minister, was Reba Ma. She was the Minister for Roads. Brought her down to the mosque. Met the president, said, we'd like this. Can we do that? Looked up, Department of Roads has no use for that land whatsoever. Yes, we'll gift it to you. SubhanAllah. Connection. Connections. Connections. Absolutely. Connections. Absolutely. Connections. And that's why I felt naked. I could no longer do that. Wow. Number one. Because all of a sudden, I wasn't going to be an MP, you lose all power. Yes. Yeah? 
Number two, my parents and the community felt really let down. Not like my HSC. Mm. Where over there you're going to be an MP. Yeah. Like this, and for 10 years I was building up and working day and night. And it was public, public. And I had a humble great support up until the point I lost. They all love you, but when you lose, this is like. But it does, it does, just on that journey, it does expose a lot exactly. uh, of who's really got your back and who exactly. hasn't. Well, Sheikh Tajdin Lahari did. Right? Here's my point. Everybody else, like, oh, well, they did it to us again. They made us down again. Okay? So it's amazing. But look, it's amazing how much that happens in our community. Absolutely. It's amazing. Like, it's like, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as, soon, as soon as you're dropped, it's like they're all running yeah. every direction. But, but, but that's not only our community. That's every community. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're just really good at it. <laughs> no, no. They're good actors. Every community does that. Yes. But there's very few that had power that could help me. In fact, Gough Whitlam. Prime Minister, I was so despondent and disappointed because I was 29. What would I know? I, 29 year old thinks they know the world, they don't know anything, mm. right? At my age, anyway. Yeah. And I had all this power and this connection and stuff, and I was using it for the community, and it felt really good. And it wasn't indulgence, there was a lot of ego in it. Yeah. Like you could do things yeah, yeah. that most people couldn't, right? And he sat me down and said, uh, Son, and he, this is before he passed, and he was one of my, my, wasn't my mentors, but someone I looked up to, who's the former Prime Minister of Australia, right? Don't be so precipitous, you know. And I <laughs> looked it up. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> precipitous. <laughs> well. It's like uh, don't 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 rush things. You've got plenty of time. Mm. And he took me in his office, spent an hour and a half consoling me. Wow. Right. Um, and it, it like okay, so what do, what do I do now? And so, and and my parents understood that. See, my parents didn't understand everything. So I'll give you an example. So I got my Order of Australia in 2010. 2010, so there's a little thing they give you, yeah. right? And I'm trying to explain to my dad what an Order of Australia is. And when you get an Order of Australia, you go to government house, the military presents, and we had a governor who hosted the Order of Australia event, and it's really nice. It is really nice. And, and I don't mean nice as in opulent. I mean nice emotionally. Mm. That is thinking and feeling Australia. Yeah. And they really do give those awards out properly and meritoriously. And I was really young. I was like 38 when I got it, right? And um, I remember, never forget, so you can only take four people. took my wife, my parents, wow. and me, four people. Went to Government House in New South Wales, like Government House in Victoria. And at the time, the governor happened to be someone who had Lebanese heritage, Marie Bashir. Marie Bashir was Lebanese from like 100 years ago. Wow. Right, her family came. So she knew a little bit about Arabic and she was a legend in New South Wales, you know. She was a psychiatrist at Sydney University and she was a legend in the community. But she was the governor. And so the governor, at the end of the ceremony, they give you a box and they give you an award and they give you a gold medal and they, you line up as you go out. And my dad, my, I lined up, my wife, my parents, and she'd say, thank you very much, Talal, for your service. Shake your hand like a wedding, you know, when you're going out. Mm. Thank you for your service. Really do appreciate your, you know, and they should remember what you did. Contribution to the community, contribution to something, okay? Then my wife, hello, thank you. And who's that? Oh, that was Zara, my, one of my kids that was born and because she was holding a baby. And then my mother, she would, thank you, thank you very much, Miss Yassine. Um, we, I hope you're proud of your son. You know, he contributed to Australia. Mama, thank you very much, you know. <laughs> and then she, my dad came. My dad said, 
And so she looked at him, thank you very much, Mr. Yassine. You must be proud of your son. And she looked at him and he clearly wasn't understanding. Thank you, thank you. You know, like, you know, that nod, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that fob nod, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're looking at. And then she switched to the little bit of Arabic that she knew. I'll say it in English, but he's saying, she's saying it in Arabic, in broken Arabic. He must be very proud of your son. We're very proud. Thank you. My dad came to life. Eh, yes, yes. Thank you very much. My son, he's very smart. He's got many of these degrees before. <laughs> <laughs> a new degree. <laughs> he had no idea what it was in Australia. Was. He thought I was just, he'd been to three graduations. <laughs> they had suits on, they had hats on. It's the same thing. And she look, I never forget the look in her eyes when she realized he had no idea where he was. She smiled and said, thank you very much, Mr. Yassin. She was an amazing woman. Didn't, he didn't realize like that she realized. And so that's what I mean about, you know, my father and the parents and now they interconnect, but always there, unconditionally, sure. yeah. always present, not even knowing where we were going. The amount of times my dad would say, Middleheader, that's the premier of New South Wales, dad. <laughs> you know, who's that? And, and so it goes back to intention, Nia, yes. and it goes back to who you truly are, what you truly belong to. And so the way I define myself and my experiences where I worked with my dad in the markets and my mum, whether I worked on a taxi, whether I worked, um, whether I went to the Lakemba Mosque and spent a lot of my time there, they're the things that define me. They're the things, Sheikh Tajdin Hilali, and the other person I'll always mention apart from my teachers is Allah Yirhamul Hajj Adim Maharabani. You would not know him here, but he's another towering figure who has passed, who set up Bata Zakat and the Elamaim for many years. Oh, wow. he, he died at 87. And um, he's another guy that influenced me um, because simply, you know, when we meet Lebanese men, you know, when they argue, they argue about politics or crap. And they're <laughs> always arguing about, like, uh, things that, like, in their interest. Yes. No, you won, no, you lost. Oh, my son's better. You're... He <laughs> set up a group of people where it's called Better Zakat, or Zakat House now in New South Wales, of Lebanese. They're very Lebanese. They were sending money to Tripoli and North Lebanon. Mm. And uh, he asked me to come and help him. And he was like this 80-year-old where no idea was too big or too small. He was like, he thought like an entrepreneur, but he had a heart of gold. And he was a businessman before he retired. And these men would sit and argue. Their board meetings were on Sunday mornings. You know, you're a married man, you have kids. <laughs> Sunday mornings, it's like... They had nothing to do Sunday morning at 10 o'clock Anyway And I'd go old for him school. They're old Very school. old school I'd go for them And you know what they would argue about? Wallah they would, their voices would raise La hajj mabibbel No I don't accept La, Oh come on like, And they're like and I, They were arguing about Someone would give them a hundred dollars they say That's zakat this or zakat that You're putting it in the wrong category Oh, wow. I will not have on my conscience you put it in the wrong category. Hey, Sadaka, why Sadaka Jaria? Like, you know, wow. and they, they, they were like, and I'm like, sitting there, amazed. I was a lawyer by this time, <laughs> partner of a law firm, <laughs> and every Arab man is all about, no, nah, but I want more money. Like, you've ripped me off. I want more money. I want something from you. And oh, wow. these guys showed me, Hajj Adi Marabani and the whole crew there. Till this day, they're the most honorable people I've met. And they spend their time collecting zakat, sending adahi, you know, meat yes. around the world. And if, if there was, they did the accounts and there was $100 not account, they put it in themselves. Oh, 
Oh, wow. Right? And, and so, <clears throat> again, about the honesty, that transparency, because we had that Islamic trust deficit in our mm, communities. Yeah. And they filled it out for me. Inshallah. They filled it out for me. Yeah, Can I ask uh, just a journey of, of 10 years, uh, you know, rubbing shoulders with the elite and obviously the influence? You mentioned a, a key word, that, that ego. What, what kind of things did you do to, to reflect? Because obviously our deen, is, it's, it's all about controlling mm-hmm. that ego yeah. and yeah. the persona of that ego where how do you define, you know, yeah. uh, how can I say, you know, uh, strength to that ego? What kind of things did you do to really humble yourself back? Well, and- I, it wasn't hard for me because I came back home to Guilford Parramatta every day. You know, you're very grounded. You still had your parents. We didn't go on a, I could be the Prime Minister of Australia. When I went home, I hummus and tabbouleh at my mum's kitchen. And I had to help go pick the, you know, the badunis, you know, till this day. So for me, it wasn't, you know, I would get on my parents' yacht, you know, we'd get on, uh, uh, we're so highfalutin, the private jet, we missed it. I'm so sorry, you know. Um, uh, When I go home, I'm still grounded. Mm, it's still there. We still meet every every week as a family. All of us come to my parents' house, yeah. you know. And so, and also the other thing is, why was I there in the first place? Mm. Okay. So I'd like to say this about political leadership in this country. No politician, labor left, labor right, liberal, Pauline Hanson even, enters politics in this country to make money or get power. No politician. I, I guarantee you that. They, they may get worse later and become compromised and all the rest of it, but they enter always for the right reason. And because I want to serve. In Australia, the political system, we can criticise it. It can turn out wrong for us. It could, as a community, but people go in for the right reasons on every side. And I went in for the reason to serve my community. And so whilst I enjoyed all of it, and I still enjoy it. And I'm still a member of the Labor Party till today. I didn't leave the Labor Party. I left political, uh, securing political office, running in political office. Yeah. You, can member, you can be a member of the party. And I still, know, I still have friends across the board that I grew up with. So all the class of that 10 years are now federal ministers yeah. and state premiers. And, you know, and I can name them all, but, you know, you can, anybody from oh, across the country. And so the question of ego, I mean, everybody has an ego. It depends how you control that ego. And it depends about your niya and your intention. And so whilst even today I mix with the highfalutin and the people who run the country and the people who are, have the rule, there's only like 100, 200 people in Australia really who really drive Australia. In every city, yeah. there's only like 20 or 30 people who actually make most of the decisions. Wow. Right? And, and I'm talking to some Illuminati. I'm talking about people you know. Think of Victoria, the Premier, the CEO of uh, uh, NAB, CEO of Mercer, CEO of Coles, CEO of, like there's the big farmers, the big mm. banks, the politicians, and the representation of the unions, they're, and their leaders. They're the 30 or 40 that come together that make the majority of decisions. Wow. And so you sit around with them, you see how real power works. And so... My contribution, what I exist for, and it's very well known, is I just have my community. I've never been not a member of my community. And I went and did banking and law. And I won't bore your listeners about why, that. Why that? Is that where you realise where that where real power relies? Well, no, no. Strength? It's just because I was a lawyer. Real power relies in politics and, the, and economics. 
And I happened to be a lawyer and I wanted to set up uh, Crescent Wealth. Um, Why that? Why? To collectivize Islamic wealth. Let's go back. So when we talk about our community, when we talk about our uh, collegiality or our working together, well, that's great. But what institutions do we have apart from mosques and schools? Mm. Name me these institutions that contribute to our life, right? So schools are government funded, but they're important. Mosques are very important. They're the most important. But where's our institutions? So when I founded Crescent Wealth, alhamdulillah, it was... Were you the first? Uh, the first, yeah. Well, the founder, pioneer of the whole Islamic industry in Australia for superannuation. superannuation. We're not talking about lending. We're talking about investments. Super, super, yeah. And um, it was founded in 2010. And was that a struggle? Massive struggle. You're talking I can, about, I can imagine because that, yeah. we, we understand that world to be a really nipped up world of, of power because obviously we understand and a lot of people don't understand that super is what keeps this country going of course. and keeps it flowing. You know, you, yeah. you might look at Gomez in a restaurant, that's being funded yeah. by super funds. Yeah. You, or you might see that, that city building being developed, that's a super fund. Well, remember, super has $4.3 trillion in it today. Wow. So $4.3 that's a public figure. And that's for those about trillions, that's 4,300 billion, billion, wow. right? So that's, and, and growing. And you have to pay it. It's 11% tax. And so Crescent Wealth found to collectivize Islamic wealth, get this wealth and invest it together. So when something does happen, well, one, you get a Sharia compliant return. Two, you've got someone, an institution, not an individual. Crescent Wealth is not built around Talal Yassin. It's built around an institution. So Talal can be long gone and the institution will go on. Talal can have a nervous breakdown and go to Tahiti. People's money is protected. And not, right, not to say we're perfect, but we went and got the license, the original license in 2013 to be a super fund um, from APRA, which is like getting a banking license. Yes, yes, yes. They don't yes. issue them anymore. That's Costs right. us millions of dollars and effort and a decade to set it up. But alhamdulillah, we manage about $450 million today. Inshallah. Is that a, a non-profit or is that a profit? It's, it's a for-profit for purpose. Okay. So the non-profit are the union funds, oh, okay. right? They're the union funds. And so we have to do a private one because we don't have a union. Okay. Mm. And that's where it goes back to power. Mm. We don't have a union. So someone had to spend the money to set it up. Okay. And it's like um, school. Got a government school? We want to set up a private school. Oh, Someone's got to spend the money to build it. Uh-huh. Then the government will fund it. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Same thing. Same but it's, it was, and so the idea for Crescent Wealth was to collectivize Islamic wealth. So there will be someone to say, look after Ibs. What the hell? Do you only invest in certain things? Like you say, for instance, I've got a great idea, a, a new school. Can, I, can you as a super invest? No. no. A super fund is a structure that is very low risk. And you don't invest people's money yourself. You appoint people, and usually it's 80% liquidity, so it's got to be in shares. So our job is to collect money and give it to investment managers in, who invest in a Sharia-compliant manner, and we get tested every year by an audit. So when I say, Allahu Akbar, Bismillah, trust me, brother, it's audited every year by Dubai Islamic Bank, Dari Sharia. Oh, wow. And so we don't make investment decisions. So you can't oh, come you to Talal. Make, you don't make no. investment decisions. You can't come to Talal and so say, you're the middleman. Um, we you're, the are holding, the, you're the holding. We are the product producer. Ah. 
right? We are the product producer. And then and let me give you an example why. Sorry, the only reason I ask some No, some... no, there's nothing to be sorry about. It's a very important question because people don't, we're like, they don't understand it, yeah. So, so for example, we're going to invest in Australian shares. What do I know about Australian shares? Like, why should I be making decisions about Australian shares? Mm. We invest in international shares. We're going to invest in Australian property, listed property. We're going to invest in Islamic sukuks. So we appoint a manager who's a specialist who gets paid to invest in each of those. Oh, wow. So we've got 450 million. We give this guy 50 million, this guy 100 million. Mm. And, and, and we've got to comply with the Islamic laws and the laws. Our job is to make sure we comply with the Islamic laws and the Australian laws. Mm. So, what's the biggest challenge with that? Where, you, uh, where do you find those two with the parallel? It's a you? massive challenge because you see, Islamic investment is called, uh, believe it or not, there's a global Islamic standard for investment, which the whole world agrees. 90% of the Islamic world agrees. It's called the IOFI standard. It's like the accounting standard. Yes. And we invest in accordance with that. And so, Islamic investment. In simple terms, it's not about what I think is Sharia compliant, how long my beard is, or how long my hijab is. <laughs> People seem to think that. Yes. <laughs> it is, we have a very clear Islamic mandate about what the standard and what we call a double negative filter. It's about what you can't invest in. Mm. So the first one's really easy, right? Now. You can't invest in tobacco, armament, pornography, weapons, alcohol. alcohol, banks, and insurance companies. Everybody knows that. But then the insurance, no, no, <laughs> haram. <laughs> the second one is you can't invest in uh, is a, an economic filter, a numbers filter that says you can't invest in anything with more than 33% debt, you can't invest in anything like there's oh, a rule wow. that you have to apply that are globally agreed. But when we apply them in Australia, it means m- most of the top 20 companies we can't invest in. Wow, the so top, the top, the uh, well, blue chip. top echelons, yeah, the four banks. Yes. The resource companies, they got too wow. much debt. West Farmers, Woolies. Everybody say, Woolies, why, why wouldn't you invest in Woolies? Too much debt. Well, too much debt, but also more poker machines in New South Wales than Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of Dan Murphy's? Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Right? That's where they make a lot of their money from, poker yeah, machines. Wow. And, and so now they're demerged. But I use Woolies as an example. Yes, yes, Not yes. that they're a good or bad company, but we can't invest in them. Does quite. that change? Yes. Not much, but. But like now, what's happening with the world and, and the boycotting? Does that change? Well, no. See, so boycotting is a bit different because okay. you're boycotting a country. Islamic standards don't have a country. Oh, wow. We don't say we can't invest in Malaysia. So, but as, as, as the standards, say, for instance, now, you know, we're boycotting A. I'm not going to mention yes. that, obviously, yeah, A, sure. no, because no, they're you, supporting a certain country. You can't do that. You can't do that. Because, because Islamic standards are investment standards. Oh, wow. They're not national standards. And in fact, it would be illegal to do that in Australia under the APRA laws. Wow. Oh, wow. Having said that, we don't invest in that country. We don't invest in anything to do with that. Yeah, but say, for instance, a company openly says, I'm supporting A. You can't. You can't. You can't. Super is very tightly controlled. Wow. Very highly regulated and very complex. Think of your licensing regime for one of your businesses. Yeah, yeah. Times that by 100. Wow. Literally, so, wow. To, I'm not exaggerating. So you've got to protect every, Literally every, times that by Every leak you have to protect. Absolutely, from every angle. And so, but alhamdulillah, we've, 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 got a, we've got a great team that's challenged that, and we're building Islamic institutions. The next one's credit finance, non-bank Islamic lending coming in a year or two, and to try and build up those institutions that serve the Australian Muslim community and collectivizes it wealth. Inshallah. So from law to, to Crescent, is that what happened? No, no. So I went from, so I went, so we're talking about career-wise? Yeah, yeah. Just take us through careers. the journey. Yep, sorry. After politics, yep. politics ended in 2001, as far as I was concerned. 
I had a non-executive career and executive. Non-executive means you serve on boards. So I joined the uh, Macquarie University Board, board Australia Post Board, um, Sydney Ports Board, things like Port, Port Botany, like Port Melbourne. Take us through. What, what does it mean to sit on a board? Sit on a board is a group of people who the CEO reports to once a month and they say, how are we going, Habibi? <laughs> How's it going? How's the profits going? What about this? What do you say to the government? So it's the boss of the CEO. Uh, and you get a point and you sit there and you have a monthly meeting. And if you hear, when you hear a board, it's the organization of six or seven people that is, sits at the top of the company. Which okay. gives you a lot of exposure. A lot of learning, a lot of exposure, a lot of interest. Yeah. Sure. And so that was one. But it's not your full-time job. Yes. That's something you do once a month. But they're, they're paid or non-paid? Paid, yeah, they're paid. paid. They're paid very well. So you get paid like 100 grand a year. Wow, just to be on the board. Yeah. But you've got a lot of responsibility and liability. Mm. You've got to be highly skilled. Not if, nobody, you don't sit on the board because your cousin's there. Right? There's none of that. <laughs> There's not a mosque board. Um, <laughs> you have to present and you've got li- personal liability if things go wrong. Mashallah. Okay? So if you're a billion-dollar company, a listed company, you're liable. You're liable. For, you're liable. You put your assets on the line. Inshallah. So they, they, that's what boards are. And I took a lot that's of That's why you hear, look, a lot of people in, the, in America when financial crisis hit, the, the board was really what... Yeah, that's why what, they're in the gun. In the gun. You are responsible. Possible, yeah. So you are like the mum and, and dad people of people don't understand company. that, so just that's yeah. to clarify. So yeah, you get all the good things, you, you make big decisions, you appoint a CEO, you, you know, but if things go wrong, you're in the gun. Sure. You're ultimately responsible. Wow. Can you give us one of this that gone, went wrong? Um... I sat on a lot of government ones, so you, you, none of them went wrong. I don't um, – for, for me, none of them have gone wrong, alhamdulillah, because you've got to be very picky on which ones you go for. I can tell you a really good one. Yeah. Yeah, so a really good, good one that, is that, Australia, good one. Australia Post, based in Melbourne, 111 yes. Burke Street. When I was on the board, the CEO was a brother called, who you'll know, Ahmed Fa'ur. Best CEO that I've ever come across. A Muslim brother from the hood. Wow. He is – Amazing CEO. The stuff he did. Is that how you connected? Yeah. Or you knew him before? No, we, I knew him before. I knew him before. But we ha- ended up, he ended up being CEO and MD and I ended up being on the board. Oh, wow. That's government appointed. He did amazing work. And I learned so much at Australia Post. He, it was a parcel company and a letter company and like thousands of employees, government pressure, yeah. financial pressure. And I learned so much from Ahmed. He, he's just such an amazing uh, executive and leader, and another guy. I think you should probably get on the podcast. Shalom. He'd, yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd be, to. he'd be, he's, he's amazing. Best CEO, one of the best CEOs I've ever come across, and I learned so much from him. Shalom. So that's a good one. Um, but to say that companies haven't gone wrong, there'd be a lot that's gone wrong. But when I say sit on board, you sit on one or two. Yeah. And over like, you know, 10, 20 years, I've sat on like twenty. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of them. It's not like, you know, not yeah. like clients. You have a thousand clients. Because you've got to go, it's work. You've got to go there once a month. You've got to read your papers. You've got to understand your stuff. You've got to investigate. It's not like Just, I show up and yeah. I say, Bismillah, let's go. <laughs> what action items? Yeah, what action items? <laughs> Hajj, Hajj, you remember what we agreed last time? No, no, no it's nothing like that. It's uh, running proper. The question is that I understand, like, just to give some clarity to, to our listeners, inshallah, this doesn't happen without a support network underneath that, I think. And, and can sort of, and I think a lot of us then understand that, that there's no doubt about that, that you've got a support network underneath that, your PAs, 
your, your, you know, I think maybe so, I'd, I'd love for you to reflect upon that and so, well, that, that's supporting what Absolutely. So let me tell you about Crescent, my, my executive career, and then how that all comes together. Yes. So when I say executive, non-executive, I don't want to confuse. Non-executive means you're not, you're not full-time. So I worked for PwC for 10 years. Wow. So 2001, I went to about 2006. I'd been there since 1997. <clears throat> so first job was 10 years. I got my long service leave, which is unheard of these Huge. days. Huge. And then I went and decided that I didn't want to be a partner. And that was a lawyer for 10 years. And then I decided that I wanted to be an investment banker. An investment banker could be many things, but they're like a real estate agent with companies. Because mm. people say, investment banker, wow, what does that sound like? So investment banking describes a lot of things. But the, what I did was I bought and sold companies or built companies and made a profit for the firm. Mm. Yeah? So I'd go to Burgies. I'd buy Burgies from you. I set up another five Burgies and I sell it to him. That's the way it works. Wow. And there I learned quite a lot. Wow. That, that. that would have gave you good exposure. Excellent exposure at the right time in the right place. And then um, I did that for about two can, or three years. Can you give us some just scenarios that you, what you sold? It's illegal. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So really simple. I sold a mine. I built a, got a, uh, a, a caravan park. We got new laws through and we renovated it and built it up and then make it an operating business and sold it to another company. Wow. Um, what else can so I do? So you became an entrepreneur. Basically. An investment banker is like a real estate agent developer. Wow. But for companies. That's amazing. Right? And you learn about net present values. And I did, so that's when I did my MBA because I did because I was a lawyer. I did a Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Laws. And then straight away, because I had a chip on my shoulder, I didn't need this degree, I went to Sydney University back again and did my Master's of Law. Wow. Yeah. So I had, three, I had, an, I had a Master's and two degrees. And then when I was going, wanted to be an investment banker, I said, great, you know, alhamdulillah, I built a good practice as a lawyer for the who's who of Australia. And then I said, I don't want to do that. They said, well, why would we hire you? Like, you want to become a lawyer in the firm? I said, no, I don't want to be a lawyer. That's the whole point. And they said, well, so I said, okay. So I did my research and then I did an MBA wow. Wow. at Deakin University. I was married, I had two kids. i got to say, um, you know, I'd come down weekends, every second weekend in the Burwood campus, you know. Wow. And uh, I did my MBA and then I moved across. Mashallah, you was constantly... Uh, self-improvement, yeah, self-education. Mashallah. And, um, and, then, um, I, um, and then I went to a firm called Babcock & Brown. Did that for three years. And then I, then I left and decided that wasn't for me. I've done enough. And that's when I guess I, get, I went to Hajj with my parents. Inshallah. And I bought a couple of companies, my own. Like I started doing it myself. Yeah, own stuff now. Well, my stuff. Like I bought a company called Lime Taxis, which is a disability taxi company. It's kind of like... Um, it now I sold it to CapCharge, you know CapCharge. Yes, here. yes, yeah. So they bought it from me. Oh wow! Um, I set up a hearing company, built it up, built it up to be Australia's second largest, and then sold it to a company called Sonova. Um, at a great multiple, I know for those investment people, so at a great profit. Mashallah. Multiple. We won't talk about multiples. We'll bore your leaders. <laughs> we'll bore your listeners. Um, but you sold it at a profit, right? Yeah. So they're the kind of things I did. And then I wanted to do something that would be a legacy for the Australian Muslim community that built. So the money I made and the experience I had, um, I had to build up institutions longer term. Because now, now I have four kids. Mm. My daughter's 22. My other daughter's uh, 20. My third daughter's 16. And my like, son like is, like thank you, is six. So then I'm now 50. I was 40 then. What are we going to do? 
to build up institutions in this country. And, excuse me, and that's why I built up Crescent Wealth, Inshallah. to collectivize Islamic wealth. And, and I only do hard things. I should have just opened up a burger joint. Really <laughs> <laughs> the guy say, oh, <laughs> you're kidding me, right? <laughs> Maybe we need him to upscale us. <laughs> Your partner on the board tomorrow. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe I, can't pay you 100 grand. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take fries with that. Um, so, I mean, everything's hard that you do. Um, and jokes aside, business is really hard. Yeah. And I've got a new respect for business people. In fact, I respect the guy who sells apples on the side of the road in Collins Street, right, that makes a profit and is there for years, than any lawyer working up for 1000 bucks an hour, which is what I used to charge. Because 1000 bucks an hour when you used to charge, you give your advice and you go. Yeah. Business is hard. Yeah, well, it's very hard. And I've, it, it actually makes thick skin, as they say. Absolutely. And anybody who runs any kind of business yeah, successfully, sure. I have a lot of respect for. And it's only until you're there that you actually understand yeah. it. And so I, um, and that's how I built, that, that's what Crescent Wealth and Crescent Finance sure. and the institutions. Now, to circle back the question as to people who helped me, and then so as I grew older, I got my brothers and sisters to help me. We all work together. Yeah. Like the Muhtadis. Um, I got a lot of staff and friends. And leadership is about working through others. Yes. You want to go fast, go yourself. You want to go far, go with a group. Yeah. And the Crescent Wealth and Crescent Finance and our not-for-profits, Crescent Institute, Crescent Foundation, they are our legacy and our contribution to, to the social fabric of Australia, which combine my corporate skills with political skills, which with Islam and institutions. So we say Crescent as a group, Crescent Wealth, Crescent Finance, we are unmistakably and unashamedly Muslim. We don't hide from that whatsoever. But we're here to contribute to the social fabric of Australia as Australians, which distinguishes it significantly from we're a welfare group for North Lebanon. We are a welfare group if there's something happens in Pakistan. Yeah. Uh, that's, they got their role. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. We're defining our role as in Australia. Yeah. And we're Muslims for it. I'll give you an example. We have 28 scholarships for refugees. Inshallah. And we want, inshallah, we want to get them to 100. Okay? And so, but they're for any Australian refugee, not just Muslim refugees. Mm. And that's a social con. You've got to give back to society 100%. that gave you so much. Yeah, and that's how we tie them all together. Now, do I have staff? I have people helping me all the time. I have people doing things all the time. If we didn't have this podcast so quickly, because I promised I'd do it by the end of the year, and I saw, I saw you guys at a Crescent Institute function. Yeah, I said, yeah. I'm going to come. Um, I'd have my, my team here. I'd be prepped. And so I do these things with great care and uh, the ihsan that our deen requires, the excellence yeah, that yeah, our deen requires. And I try my very best. Now, do I make mistakes? All the bloody time. All the bloody time. But I do it, inshallah, with a, a right niyyah and to actually contribute to others with others. Can, can you, you undoubtedly look in that position? I, I, I want you to share a miracle, a miracle that's happened in your life. What would be... The, you know, we, we, you, we all know them, you know mm. what I mean? What will be the greatest miracle that happened in your life? And, and you can either find that a little story. Besides the car accident. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely married. Well, I'd say it was marrying my wife, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Brownie points. You had to put that one in. Yeah, yeah, You're in trouble. That's the first miracle. <laughs> and she puts up with me. Uh, uh, I mean, Allah bless our wives uh, for putting up with us. Absolutely. Because the amount of, when you are in a state of giving back, 
Uh, there's yes. no doubt that yeah, you so need that support yeah. without our wife. Well, like, it has to be have, taken from somewhere the time. Yeah, and we, I never take that for granted. And yeah. I'm a person who's always done. How long have you been married? 24 years Inshallah. this weekend. Oh, the anniversary. Yeah. yeah. 24 years this weekend. Allahumma bari. And um, uh, thank you. And and uh, that's that's our first miracle. Second miracle, let me tell you about the power of Baraka and Niyyah. Yes. So when I was building Crescent Wealth, and a'udhu billah min kilmet ana, I, um, it was, it was a shit cake. It was a basket case. Because you see, I was trying to start up and pioneer an industry, not a firm. Yeah. I wanted many others to follow because we're trying to serve the Australian Muslim community. It's not a business. If I have the business, I'll build property with my brother. Mm. I'll do private equity, keep yeah. doing that, trade yeah. deals. For every unit, we make 50 grand, you know, <laughs> and everybody will understand building. <laughs> yes, that's what I do. If you want to make money, that's what you do. Property in Australia is where you make money. Property, education, resources. You don't know a thing about resources where we don't have education business. It's property. Yeah. But I wanted to start. Good advice. I wanted to start something that would contribute to the social fabric of Australia and that would be unmistakably Islamic. And the Crescent, what could be more Islamic than the Crescent? Mm. And so we decided to set up a superannuation fund just as an idea, but little did I know of what I was getting into. So ignorance was a lot of bliss. Uh, if, you, if you knew how hard the road, oh, you, wouldn't, mate, you wouldn't have done it. Anybody have done sane it. would not have done it. Allah right? wow. Because you see, you're spending millions of dollars. And I mean millions. Because it's like the Harbour Bridge or what's your bridge called? The, um, the Westgate. The Westgate. Yeah, it's like yeah, the Westgate. Yeah, it's blown out. <laughs> you can't put one car across the Westgate unless you build it all. Yes. It's not like, you know, Burgies, you build yeah, one branch, two branches, yeah, three, yeah, yeah, then you build a head office. Yeah. It's wow. a bridge. Wow. To set up a super fund, it's a bridge. It's infrastructure. I love the analogy. And so you have to build the whole bridge. But they only told me about the first part. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. I they only told me about the first part. And, was, and if it was the whole part, it was a little bridge. It was across a creek. <laughs> not, not the Yarra. Wow. And, um, and so it was inexperienced as well. And so... But the amount, the Nia was right. And I was doing other things. And I decided to put my faith and the work into building an institution. Inshallah. And I had a CEO-ship offer at the time after I sold those businesses to go run a multi-billion dollar company or to set up Crescent Wealth and build it. Because I already had a, a bit of an investment, you know. You have an investment here, investment there. Hired one guy. We did a bit of research. And I saw a business opportunity. It was the Muslim community is underserved. But I didn't realize, I, I realized there was an opportunity, but I didn't realize how much hard work it would be, wow. how expensive it would be and how long it would take. So there's a bit of blissful ignorance, but the near was right. And so the miracle is, so let me tell you about a super fund and about a miracle. So with a super fund, the law is very clear. You need to diversify. You can't just invest in houses. In, I don't know, Tani yeah. or just cut farms in Werribee. Yeah. Not that any farms in Werribee anymore. But my point is, you've got to be diverse. It's very strict. So there are four categories Australian equities, Australian shares, international shares, property, Australian and international, sukuks, and cash. What's okay? sukuk? Sukuk is bonds. Bonds. And I'll explain that what that means because that's a, so everybody understand what shares. So shares in Australian 
company is like a share in, I don't know, um, Woolies or a yeah. share in Kathmandu yeah. or shares you buy them from the yeah. stock market. Yes. And international, you understand. And property is the same. Yes. You don't buy property direct, you buy shares in things. And they make a return, you get it. Yeah. And it's relatively easy to get halal. And then there was sukuks and cash. So in an investment fund, like in your investments, if you've got $100, you invest, you invest maybe 50 in things that can go up and down. Yeah. But the other 50 has to be safe. Solid. Yeah. Solid. Gold. Right? Yeah, because we're getting 5%, 6% return. And then, so I built the Australian equities product, Shadow Compliant Shares. Cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I built the international equities product and got a manager. Cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I built the property part. Cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because if I take one dollar from you, I've got to put it in particular spots. Wow. And then we got to cash. So cash is a term deposit in the bank. So when we put money in a bank. Interest return. It's interest. I can't accept interest. And you need, in, you need cash. Allahu Akbar. To set up a super fund. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because then I can't put your $30 or $25 that I need to put in cash. Because To transfer it. I, I can't do anything. You can't invest it. And so <laughs> I spent millions of dollars setting up the other bits. And I couldn't find Islamic cash in Australia. Wow. I couldn't, because I got $500 million, just under $500 million now. Can you imagine? I couldn't invest $120 million of it. Like, wow. Yeah? And so, What's the use of it? What's the use? And that's where I got stuck. Fly Sydney, Melbourne, Melbourne, Sydney, talk to everybody. Can we have, uh, can I put Muslim money in a term deposit? Sharia compliant. No interest. So, yeah, the banker said, yeah, I can, I can open up a bank, but, but you're still taking the interest. You're just not giving it to me. Wow. So how do I get a return for my members? Right? He puts money in the account and super, he wants... Australian shippers doing 10%. He wants 10%. All right, maybe he'll accept eight or nine, but he's not going to accept zero. Yeah. Right? Anyway, so I went to a lunch. There's a random lunch. And I, the khalas, my dream was dead. Finish. How long has this taken? Four years. Four years. Four years. So I started in 2007. This is 2011. And nothing yeah. off the ground. The bridge no, is I, there. I'm just, no, I'm, I built pieces of the bridge. Wow. But not one car can go across. Yes. I built pieces. I just didn't connect the bridge yet. Yeah, I, had, I had that 25% in the middle. Four years of heartache. Four years of money. Cash. Only money. Not only heartache. Cash. Millions of dollars to set it up. Anyway. And you then, were determined. Uh, well, I was determined up until I died. <laughs> <laughs> up until I died. I'm, uh, I'm going the bridge on my own. <laughs> the laws of gravity apply. There has to be a car going through this bridge. There has to be. Oh, I'm going to jump it, you know? <laughs> so, you know, Dukes of Hazard style. <laughs> and I got, how do I find cash? It's got to be Australian dollars. Wow. So there was cash overseas. Like, okay, let's put a, let's get, take the 50 million and give it to Malaysian bank. But they say you've got to put it in US dollars. Wow. If you have to do an exchange. You're losing already. I'm only getting like 1% or 2% return, Islamic cash. Like for, like wow. put 100 million in, I'm getting 1% or 2%. It's cash. It's safe. It's guaranteed. Yeah. And so, but the exchange rate goes down 3%. I've lost part of your money. Yes. Can't do that. Before I even work it. Before I even did anything. What if it goes down 20%? Oh. 100 million goes down to 80 million. Anyway, so everybody, definitely Talal stole our money. Hit one, his name, his name is Talal. That's it. Do I have to say any more? Is he in Malaysia too? <laughs> I told you, he's done 10 years. 10 years. So Allah then Allah. I went to a random lunch. It's, it was, i never forget, 
random lunch about transparency in business, got invited as a business leader. So they sit down and the guys were talking all about, they gathered a lot of people, talking about faith, ethics, doing the right thing in business. And I happened to sit someone randomly, this is what I mean, the miracle. Lord. The chairman of HSBC Australia. His name was David C. And he spoke with a fine Oxford accent. And wow. he was a gentleman and a scholar. So I got to talk to him and said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm setting this up and this is my challenge. And he was like an older man. And he said, oh, I see, I see. And he would just talk me through like for an hour because I was at lunch with him for a two-hour lunch. He sat next to me and he did not say a word. And I said, and he said, so what's your challenge? Well, I'm really struggling, David, with um, an Islamic cash product in Australia, in AUD. Otherwise, I can't set up this super fund. I'm done for. Um, and it's got to be truly shit out compliant. Can't be greenwashing. Can't be pretend. Can't be Allahu Akbar. Trust me, brother. It's got to be very clear. I didn't say it in those words yeah, to him, yeah. but I was very clear in loyally words. You know, yeah, it's got to wow. be true to brand, you know, the, yeah. the way we say yeah. it, right? <laughs> So he goes, I see. Well, it's been a delight to meet you, young man. And he like, we finished the lunch. We went. But we exchanged cards. Two weeks later, he says, I get a call, random call. This is me trying to work out what the hell am I going to do. He says, uh, Mr. Yassin, you don't mind if I call you Talal? Like old English accent. Like, wow. yes, who's this? Oh, this is David Say. We had lunch some. And then what's happened? No, thank God I took the call. I don't take random calls. He said, I was speaking to my Malaysian counterpart, and it appears that we have an a, a, a term Islamic term deposit in Aussie dollars. Would you be interested in talking to him? Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allah. He sent them for you. Allah, my God. Uh, I would be uh, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> While you were jumping up uh, and yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he put me in touch with HSBC. Malaysia, Islamic. Because Malaysia is Islamic. SubhanAllah. And that's the way we set up the super fund. Similar wow. story happened to us. That's the way we set up. And the barakah. So that's the miracle. Yeah. And I've got several of them where yeah. it was just crazy mountains that we're trying to climb because we're trying to marry up Islamic with Australian law, with investment, with community. And that's that remains our biggest challenge. Wow, mashallah, mashallah, So you put your money where the mouth is as well. That's that's uh, that's yeah. That's, they always used to ask me, "Have you got skin in the game?" I'm not skin, bro. I got everything: bones, uh, jaws, eyes, <laughs> ears, feels, everything, <laughs> <laughs> everything in it. Yeah. Wow, wow, Subhanallah, Allah, Allah, I didn't know that about you, mashallah. So that's what we're trying to do, and so it's about building again, going back to building Islamic institutions. Uh, doing service with with the service of others, and that's what we try and do at Crescent across the board. The, I'd like to sort of. There's a few things. Sure. There's, there's no making without losing. Yes. What will be the biggest loss you've had? Uh, financially or or no, generally, you, whatever. whatever. Will you tell me what is your biggest well, I've, loss? I've what is the greatest loss I've you've ever had? I've described two of them for you. HSC wow. and politically. That was your biggest loss. There were there were the, there were the biggest losses because. They were about me, my family, who I was, and who I wanted to represent, right. and what I wanted to do. They were massive. Yeah. So it was months after the HSC and months after, po- and till this. this day, people still talk to me about it. Wow. wow. Financially, I've lost a lot. <laughs> I have lost a lot. 
I've invested in things that have gone AWOL. I've... Um, okay. So when you... Uh, and uh, we've spoken to a lot of brothers, yeah. kind of like, you know, and we've gone through this, you know, yes. when you put all your eggs in a basket or as much as you think you should, then suddenly yeah. it goes to nothing. Yes. How do you reconcile that with yourself? So I think, um, well, one, I think I'm a guy who started off with nothing, like literally nothing. And only 15 years ago, I was a taxi driver. And people don't believe me until I show my license, <laughs> right? Love. And I've got my license. If you watch my the TEDx, you'll see they come up. <laughs> and so my relationship with loss is that I'm prepared to risk. If I lose, I'm okay going back. I'm like, we live in the best country in the world. Mm, right? I have no ego about that. Only up from here. I have no ego about that because, and I can see why people have ego about that and fear. Yes. Because there's, there's a set standard that they're used to. Mm. I'm very happy eating a, a Manusha on Coburg Road and driving a cab. <laughs> I'm very happy. And that's an in, internal thing because that's my knee. Um, if I lose the house, if I lose the car, if I lose the, the accruement, the, the fancy stuff like that outside, right? Is it a good, bad thing or a good thing? It's a bad thing, but I'm okay with that. Oh, I'm truly that. okay. And that's, if you have the attitude, like you really have it in your quiet yes. moments, you will then not fear, because fear itself is what drives what happens between yes. the mind. Yes. Now, do I want to lose? Am I, am I crazy enough to do, cra- I'm not. I'm, I'm very systematic, very calculated. very calculated, and I take mitigated risk. I mean, risk that I measure up. Yes, yeah. 100% will. We're not gamblers. That's gharar. Yeah. In Islamic law, that is not allowed, like just to gamble. Flick it here, flick it there, yeah. take measured risk. Bitcoin. Theory. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll talk about Bitcoin a bit later. Some of, it, some of it's halal, some of it's haram, but, but it's, it's a measured risk. Yes. And so my relationship with money and risk is, remember, up until 30, I have no interest in money. Wow. Zero interest. If, you know, when I was wanting to be a member, member of parliament, in, members yeah, of parliament no. in Australia are poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? As a definition, unless you like a Malcolm Turnbull, you were rich to start with. Yes. And that's a service model, right? And that's up and as I say, up until th- I spent every dollar on community and donations and political career. And so that's my start. And so if I make losses, yes, I've made a lot of losses. And when I was at Babcock and Brown, I invested a lot of money that went south. Um, I learned a lot of lessons. Um, in, in business and, and people. I learned a lot of, but I mean, the biggest thing I've learned is life, all of life is a risk. Doing nothing is a risk. Yeah, yeah. biggest I've, risk. I've, I've, I've never met anybody in my life who's achieved something without taking any risk, yes. but risk does hurt. Yes. 100%. Be prepared for the pain and take it like a man or like a woman, whichever <laughs> of those you are, accept it and embrace it. Amen, amen. And, 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 and uh, the people who don't succeed are the people who don't take risks. Amen. Yes. And are weak men or weak women. And I define that in the Jordan Peterson way. A weak man is very, very dangerous. A weak woman is very, very dangerous. Mm. What do we mean by that? Women does not take responsibility and accountability for their own decisions. And they are all about sitting back and being judgmental. Mm. How many people do you know 
who have a problem for every solution, <laughs> problems for no solutions, <laughs> who have a view about everything and the first thing you ask them to do, nothing. <laughs> you know? The actionless, I call them. Actionless. <laughs> I have a different name for them, but... Yeah. Don't want to get into trouble. And, and, so, and so that's, that's, that's my... So that's loss for me. Yeah. Loss for me is about losing one's faith. Amen. Real loss. Amen. One, uh, and number one. Number two, it's all about family and not engaging sufficiently with your family because family, everybody's got family, everybody's born of some man and woman somewhere. Yeah. And they may not have siblings and they may or may not have cousins or may not, it's, it's what you do with them. Yeah. And uh, a big issue in our community now is because I come from a very traditional Lebanese family. Mm-hmm. So family as you is not optional. Don't know where you live, what you do. You know, I got my mum ringing me now. He probably she's rung me three times in this podcast where I am. Alhamdulillah. You know, and that's just a given. Amen. Yeah. So, so for me, there, there. If I've lost, Alhamdulillah, in our family, it's been okay on that front. That would be the loss for me. That would be the biggest loss. I love my baby. I think we always. Uh, and our podcast, and I think you've done an amazing job in defining. It didn't feel like work at all. I no, enjoyed it. For sharing, <laughs> but we always love to ask this this amazing question, um, which is uh, an "I am" statement. An "I am" yeah, is I it? Am. Will I am? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, "I am" statement is like this. Uh, Subhanallah. We an "I am" statement is like I am. Uh, I am learning to be of benefit, for example, in a single statement. Right. Of what you stand for, basically. Yeah, That's so what your I am statement. Is there a statement that yeah. is that stands for you? What is the, your I am statement in single statement? Well, I will end this uh, beautiful podcast with the way I started, with one statement. I am a person of service to others with others. Allah Akbar. MashaAllah. That's Allah beautiful. Allah. That's where I started. Allah That's where I end. Allah. Because if you keep that in mind, if I keep that in mind, then nothing can trouble you. Because every religion I've ever seen, every the Baha'is, every Asian uh, principle that I've studied, it always comes down to service of others. Amen. Always. True happiness. Yeah. You know, like they say, if you own one Ferrari, that's great. If you own two, are you doubly as happy? <laughs> no. <laughs> Boat, food, car, house. It, it, you achieve things and look, worldly things are great. I, I am a purveyor of that. Enjoy, um, succeed financially. I love people who succeed financially and succeed in their life. But never forget what truly drove you there and what truly is important. The part I've added is with others because I really enjoy taking people with you, talking about it. Yeah. If I can talk about what I'm doing with yourselves who are of the same mind, it truly engages me, recharges me. You can see, subhanAllah, your journey. Inshallah, more to come, inshallah. Maybe we'll get you inshallah. back in politics. We're for the second chapter. But this time you can. I don't know about politics. <laughs> <laughs> but Allah I thought you liked me. <laughs> <laughs> Allah subhanAllah was actually paving a way for you. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah, we forget that that journey is is part of where we are today, has made you who you are today. Of course. Be able to do what you do today. Yeah, and I, and I guess I finished with Steve Jobs. You know, when they asked him, so how did you get to where you got and what was your plan? He goes, listen, I had no plan. I just did one thing at a time and everything was a learning experience for me. And 
that the dots, I just had to believe that the dots would join one day. Yeah. And you can only, only tell that when you look back. Right. As you're going through, just keep, just keep <laughs> doing dots. Subhanallah, just, you're right. Just like that bridge. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now is the best to plan But before, <laughs> just, you well, gonna, as you said, you were going to do the... A jump. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, you know. You couldn't connect yeah. it. You couldn't now connect I'm trying it. to set up another bridge to connect the cities. But anyway, it's just Allah, 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 Thank you. Allah, 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 Allah pave your way in khair and barakah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you uh, being uh, of, benefit. of benefit as you have been. Mashallah. Allah, 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 thank you very much. Allah, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Salaamu alaikum. Allah, barakah. That was amazing. Mashallah. Bro. We squeezed. Sorry? Amazing. Yeah.